previously on Pivot Point, 50 years after the Allen Building takeover at Duke. To me, uh, it was like a scene out of Gone with the Wind. Uh, and he said, nigga, sit down. We just uh, got rented a U-Haul truck and brought a few people over and sneaked them in. And that's, that's all there was to it. Okay, wait a second. Uh, they're running around the campus, tear gassing everything in sight. They're running around outside. The well, then that cat himself say that uh, once you bring them pigs on campus, you ain't got no control over them. They knew that before they brought them on here. They knew that. First of all, because they're black people. Understand that. First of all, because they're black people. Part three, Aftermath. After the occupation and the fighting in the tear gas, the first meetings in Page Auditorium were emotional expressions of rage. Those meetings led to more meetings. President Knight did not attend. I guess he's afraid there might be some gas left. This morning, we extended an invitation to Dr. Knight to come and speak here. He has repeatedly refused our invitations. We have people where he is at now, to ask him again to come here. We've assembled peacefully. It's pretty safe in here, I think. Another march led to yet another meeting at President Knight's house. I would like for you to say why you can't meet these very reasonable, these very reasonable demands that are made on you by the black people that the more progressive universities in this country are making at this time. Right on. Right on. Right on. Nobody says this is a finished and completed package at all. The question is whether one, honestly in good faith, has worked toward this department. And the answer is yes, it's been going on for some time. Is that an unfair, unfair statement? It's an unfair statement. And the first of all, if, that, if, if such a program is being developed, one that uh, we can all be proud of, one that's uh, one of the best in the country. How can it be the best in the country? How can black people be proud of it? If black people from the beginning and up, to, up to in the progress and things thus far have had no meaningful participation in setting up the program. Who developed this program? We had no part in developing this program. Knight expressed his fundamental perspective in a radio broadcast. This sort of action, this sort of aggressive action, is no way in which to resolve a problem. It simply compounds it. Second, I would like to assure each of you of my own long-standing and deep concern for the position of black students on the Duke campus to aid in developing our intentions fully. A committee chaired by Dean Griffith was formed last October and another major committee under the, under the chairmanship of Professor Alan Kirchhoff was constituted early this past week, and they have developed several proposals to which I am personally giving my full attention. Proposals and committees did not satisfy the students, who organized a boycott of classes, supported by even students from UNC, who came over to demonstrate solidarity. Duke held students accountable for seizing the building, charging them with violating the university's pickets and protests rules. It impaneled a hearing board and held a trial in the law school. 
but virtually every black student at Duke signed a sheet claiming to have been among the protesters in the building, leaving Duke facing the possibility of disciplining its entire black student population. Michael LeBlanc. I call it a Spartacus moment. You know, I am Spartacus. So what happened was students that didn't go in and the students that went in, everybody said I was in the building. That put the school administration in a situation where you're going to kick everybody out. Ultimately, 47 students were put on probation. As Hopkins says... It worked. Because we, we basically got a tap on the back of our hands as far as punishment. I'll tell you the one thing that I like is the way that we stuck together. And uh, I'm proud of being from Duke. Like Becton, LeBlanc appreciates Duke's current stance on the protest. I'm not aware of another institution that went through the turmoil of the late 60s that recognized individuals that took a radical standpoint and give them credit and recognition for helping the institution become a better institution. So I can only applaud Duke for that, and it makes me proud to be associated with Duke for doing that. Though change came far from immediately. The meetings after the takeover remained contentious, even one a few days later, at which sociology professor Alan Kirchhoff read a statement of point-by-point -point results of a meeting that finally occurred between Knight, the Afro-American Society, and others at which they tried to hammer out a path forward. Chuck Hopkins briefly expressed the Afro-American Society's tepid support of the statement. Although in some instances the university appears to have been addressing themselves to some aspects of black students' problems, the lack of effective communications and black student involvement in the processes needed to deal correctly with these problems has led us to where we are now. It is the hope of black students that the constructive results obtained will make Duke University more relevant to the needs and aspirations of black people. Kirchhoff's opening statement expresses something of the distance that remained. What I want to report today is in the nature of a statement of understandings, which form a basis of clarification of the past and the present, as well as a pointer toward the future. Something in the nature of a statement of understandings which form a basis of clarification may not seem inspirational, yet even with the law school trial of the students looming, campus briefly settled down. But by March 8th, the same issues were back in play, with the university resisting student demands regarding the process of setting up a black studies department. Because of the difficult struggle that we have been having with these people to try to set up the black studies program, it's clear to us that certain goals, as far as direction of the black studies program, differ on both sides. With predictable results. Long live Malcolm X Liberation University. Their trial resulted in the tap on the back of the hand that Hopkins described, and most students did not decamp for Malcolm X Liberation University. The next significant event was predictable and occurred only weeks later. This afternoon, March 27th, Dr. Douglas Knight, president of Duke University, announced his resignation. Charles Knight's retirement party was held at the still-segregated Hope Valley Country Club.
on the panel of current activists, Anastasia Karklina, who participated in a 2016 protest that occupied first the Abel Quad and then part of the Allen Building, had a less generous opinion of Duke's relationship with its current protesters. There was this pervasive sense of um, having protests, um, having certain tasks, forces and committees, but not really getting anywhere, not really being able to shift things in a sustainable or some kind of radical way that would actually make a difference. Um, at some point, you know, we came together and we looked back and realized that a lot of concerns, a lot of um, grievances that we had were actually the demands from 1969 that have not been fulfilled, that have not been um, taken seriously in terms of radical changes that needs to happen at the university. Said Roberts, is even more outspoken. They're, they're beat down by the administration and told, not like that. And yet, you know, how many years after 69, they're finally willing to say, like, that was a good one. That's the one, that's the one instance of good direct action. It's because they feel like they can control the narrative a little bit more, right? The, the really, I think, interesting thing about having an intergenerational conversation is it, it highlights those contradictions that have existed from time immemorial, right? Just very consistently through our time here. And I'm, as I'm ending my final year at Duke, it's become very clear to me the university wasn't made for most of us. That the core foundation of it will always be entangled in white supremacy. It will always be entangled in capitalism. And it wasn't meant to serve us, right? However, and what makes student activism so amazing and life-giving is that in spite of all of that, every day we wake up and fight, right? Every day we wake up and push administrators to hold themselves accountable and to the code of conduct that they set up forth for students, right? And every day we're growing with each other and forming a place that feels a little bit closer to home, even though it won't ever truly feel like a place that loves you like it should, right? Janice Williams, one of the original protesters, agrees that much remains undone. I look back, uh, I, I would think we probably have received 30, 40 percent. So we still have more than 50 percent. One major one that is, I believe, is just truly embedded in prejudices and discrimination is the number of faculty. It's, yes, it has increased. So from where we were, zero, <laughs> you know, one person was 100%, right? But in terms of the demand was to bring that up to something that matched the demographic area, other institutions like ours kind of thing. And that's one that Duke struggles with, except in the medical school. But Duke undergrad still really struggles with that. Williams now calls herself semi-activist, and she's proud of her awakening in action as a student. But though the takeover changed her, as someone who spent her life as a social worker, she doesn't look at the Allen Building in 1969 as her most significant contribution. I like to think that my work with children is much more significant, that that's going to add to the nation, to the country, much more than me trying to go take over a building or go speak out against something or for something. Uh, a few ears will hear, but I think really making the difference in the life of a person to the positive is more important to me. The takeover cast a long shadow on the life of Catherine LeBlanc. I was sort of bathed in the commitment to wanting to make a difference in my community. And then after being in corporate for about 15 years, 
I did not have the same sense of purpose and fulfillment. And I remember a friend of mine saying to me, you know, you are a Harvard MBA. Why are you going to work for the Atlanta Public Schools? He says, you are an anachronism from the 60s. I left because of the level of commitment that really had gotten galvanized out of the experience, 1969, and at a certain point, it would not be silent. That desire to want to do something that would have a deeper impact on people of color every day. And I just have a very strong sense of purpose about my life and what I do. So that's how it affected me. The friendships they forged in the Allen Building have lasted their lifetimes, and the events affected those outside, too. Journalist Mark Pinsky. History grabbed us by the lapels and shook us. I had no sustained political consciousness. I was a middle-class suburban Jewish kid when I came here. And I left a much different person that's shaped my, my whole life. The takeover had a profound effect even on those who were merely nearby. I'm just standing there and it tear gassed us. Well, that was pretty radicalizing. Police are not supposed to just charge a bystander, but it made me think, wait a minute, where, does, where did free speech go? Right to assemble. I started questioning all of that. I was just appalled at how it was coming down at Duke. That wasn't supposed to happen in America. We were supposed to have free speech and freedom of assembly, and, and the black students should have a right to say what they want to say. And, and here it was just chaos. That, that just wasn't right. That just outraged me totally. The students have inspired people in ways that felt small but became large. Kathy Roth was a junior botany major, and her campus activism centered on the Vietnam War. She has looked back and wondered why she did not participate in the vigil or the crowd supporting the takeover, and realized that those protests actually did guide her. And I, I got thinking, and I realized there was one story where I did get involved in an African-American issue. And I was thinking, is that an important part of history? Like, it's kind of a minor little sidelight. I was home for either Thanksgiving or Christmas break, I don't know which, and I get a phone call, long distance, from some woman who's an alumni of the sorority I was in, Kappa Delta sorority. And she said, we hear at National that you're thinking of taking in a black student to your chapter. And I was like, shocked. And I was like, well, no, we're not, but we would if they were, they, they're not interested in our sorority. If they were interested, we would certainly consider taking in a black student. So I like hung up from, I thought, that was the weirdest phone call ever. And then I got back to campus, and it turns out lots of people had gotten calls like that over the, over the break. And so our sorority took it on as an issue to fight with National about. And in the end, we withdrew from the National organization and changed our, we just made up a bunch of letters. It was Kappa something or other. <laughs> and it was really interesting because at that time, because of all this thinking that the 60s got me doing, I was thinking of dropping out of the sorority because it was this selective organization and I didn't like that. And 
But once we did this, I'm like, I'm not dropping out now. This group is standing for something. I'm going to stick with this group. Kappa something or other. The name could almost stand as a signpost for the small, incremental, but continual changes at Duke. But time marches on. A black studies program debuted in 1969, though it didn't become a department for many years after that. Demand 7 on the students list in 1969 was for a black student union, and in 1983 the Mary Lou Williams Center for Black Culture was established. Today, it provides a home for a vital Duke black community. I am Chandra Gwen and I direct the Mary Lou Williams Center for Black Culture here at Duke University. We like to think of ourselves as a bit of that black student union that they envisioned way back in 1969. 69 to 83 is 14 years. Uh, and so uh, that was not just 14 years. Uh, that was some more protests and some more demands and some more discussions and some more pushing and some more prodding. Uh, that Duke students had to do, and we do not stray far from this purpose because the truth is, uh, for different reasons and to different degrees, the experience of black students at Duke is one that continues to need care. The more things change. Yet as commemorations of the Allen Building takeover drew near, Gwynne found a delicious irony. The Mary Lou presents an annual awards ceremony and holds it at different places each year. This year, she had a special venue in mind. Um, and this year, we are actually going to have the annual uh, ABLE Awards um, at the Hope Valley Country Club. I went out and I took a look at it uh, and I said, uh, since we awesome. are commemorating the takeover, we're here to take over. Yeah. So do you want our check? Uh, and they said yes. Uh, so we will be going back to uh, the Hope Valley Insult. For WDBS Contemporary News, this has been David Christie. Now back to more music. This has been Pivot Point, a three-part special series on the 50th anniversary of the Allen Building Takeover from The Devil's Share, the podcast of Duke Magazine. For parts one and two, links, photos, and additional content, please visit sites.duke.edu slash devils share. Yes, I had one regret, but you can guess it. While doing Black Week in the Allen Building and planning and take over, my studies suffered. <laughs> Can't you guess? <laughs>